Welcome to the CJC Weekly Bible Study, where CJC stands for Complete Jesus Christ. If your perspective of Jesus is based only on teachings from the New Testament, then your understanding is incomplete. Regarding what we often call the Old Testament, Jesus himself said, These are the very scriptures that testify about me. So won't you join us today in our study where we esteem the newer and the older testaments alike. I'm your host, Jeff Smith. And currently, we're working our way verse by verse through the first book of the Bible, Genesis. All right. I was at a meeting this morning, and I saw a guy there that I haven't seen in a long time. And I knew him as a Christian. Well, it's been quite a few years, and now I'm seeing him again, and we got to talking a little bit. I got to tell you. I, I couldn't stop talking about you guys. I, I love being here on a Tuesday, no. and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm telling them, yeah, you know, we're going back, and we're going you know, to get to back together in our study. I just wanted, wanted to tell you guys, I really, I really love you guys. I really appreciate you guys as my family, my family here at work, my spiritual family. Thank you, you guys. <laughs> the study that we had last week, if you remember, uh, by way of review, was Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7, and it was the birth of Isaac. It was finally, finally the birth of Isaac, right? We had been looking forward to that for a better part of like 10 chapters. And finally, we get to the point where Isaac is born. All right, so it's been this much-anticipated, long-awaited birth of this promised son. And we get there, and it's kind of anticlimactic. It's like seven verses, and he's born. All right, and you would think there would be like a big parade or a big fanfare, but it just occupied just this little tiny segment of, of the whole narrative. But the momentousness of the whole thing, you can easily miss that. In those seven verses, you could easily miss how significant an event that was, the birth of Isaac and the story of Genesis. All right, So you have this significant birth just taking up this little tiny place in the world All right, over there. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not resuming with Genesis chapter 21, verse 8. We'll look at doing that when we come back together. So what are we going to do today? Following on the heels of the birth of Isaac, today is the last study that we're going to have before Christmas. Why not do a Christmas thing? And I was, I have to admit, I wasn't even thinking about doing a Christmas message. And, and it was Dave who said, so are you going to do a Christmas message? And I looked at him like, no, we're in Genesis. Why would I do a Christmas message? And he says, well, it is kind of, you know, that time of year, you know. And I thought, hmm. And I started thinking about it. And I thought, you know, I really feel like there is something there. We do need, we do need to have a Christmas message. And so I got all excited about it. So on my fireplace at home, I have a nativity set, all right? And it's this nativity set that we pull out every year, and it's got a particular set of figurines. And you probably, you're familiar with nativity sets. Maybe some of you have them in your own homes. Maybe some of you have them outside your home. We have our neighbors. They have it on their front porch. We got another neighbor down the street. He's got the nativity set out on the, out the lawn, out in the grass area. Uh, some of them we've seen are, are inflatable, and you drive by at night, they've got lights, and they're all inflated. And then down a block away, they do a live one every year, and you go, can go by and see, like, a real person and a real camel and a real baby. And <laughs> I don't know how they pull it off with the real baby for all those hours out in the cold or whatnot. But when you're thinking about a nativity set, what, what are the characters that you're thinking about that you would expect to see in your nativity set? If you're going to buy a nativity set for yourself, what are the what are the figurines that you're going to expect to find when you open the box? Jesus. All right, baby Jesus. All right. <laughs> baby Jesus, good and Mary. What else would you hope and expect to find in your nativity set? Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, you expect to find Joseph. All right, good. Wiseman. Oh, the wise man. Good. Cows. Cows, all right. You gotta have a cow, right? <laughs> what was that? A camel. A camel. You might have, yeah. 
which is kind of a strange combination when you think about it, right? A cow and a camel. How, how often you see those animals together, right? A lobster. A lobster? <laughs> what? <laughs> All right, are we good, or do we want to include anything else on this list? Mm -hmm. These are shepherds. Living things. Okay, we got some shepherds. No, just thinking if you go to buy the box and you open it up. All right, so you major. I'm just looking for the living, breathing things. All right, so what was the one I just heard? Shepherds. Okay, good. Yeah, and so I would say these are typically the things that you would find in a nativity set. Sometimes to include also maybe an angel, right? So these are your typical characters in your nativity set. We're going to be looking at the Christmas story today. And you can't just turn to one place in your Bible and find all you need and all you want that you would find familiar from the Christmas story. Okay, A lot of us, the Christmas stories we might be thinking about, sometimes we get into this habit of uh, not staying up on our Bible reading. And then sometimes when the Christmas story comes around, the only thing we read is like the children's story. Because some little niece or nephew or son or daughter wants to hear the Christmas story. And we find a little book, right? A little book that's short, something we can get through pretty fast, right? And we read to them the Christmas story that typically touches on these elements here. The Bible has more details for us. And you know me, I'm kind of a detail-oriented guy when it comes to Bible study. So we're going to be looking at some of that today. But you can already hear it in my voice. I'm talking too fast, right? Because mm -hmm. I know there's a lot of details to cover, and I know I'm not going to be able to give it the, the treatment that I do typically give it verse by verse. When I look at a verse, you know it sometimes can take us a while to get through one verse. Today, we're not going to have that luxury, so we're going to look at a lot of verses in a short amount of time. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. I'm actually starting a little bit earlier than I should be, but I'm going to give you a little bit of background information. Because when you turn to Luke chapter 1, verse 5, what does your subtitle say? If your Bible has subtitles for different sections, what does your subtitle say right there between verses 4 and 5? The birth of John the Baptist, right there in verse 5, right, or right before verse 5. What else? Some of the other ones. John's birth announced. John's birth announced. Good. Zechariah. What else? To Ze Zechariah's. We don't have him on the list. Wait a minute. We're, we're just getting started. We don't even have this guy on the list. Zechariah. So let me explain who Zechariah is. Zechariah is a priest, and he's married to somebody from a priestly family. He's married to Elizabeth. Zechariah, his turn has come up to participate in the temple service. This is not an insignificant deal. This is a big deal to him. And so he's probably going to take it very seriously. And he's inside the temple... Well, I should back up just a little bit. If you're wondering what age to assign to Zacharias in your mind when you're creating this picture of who this guy is, he's old, all right? And his wife is old. They are old. In fact, the text tells us she's beyond the age of bearing children. Sound similar at all to what we've been looking at in Genesis? All right, so he's old, she's old. They can't have kids. They want kids. He's in the temple. He's doing his service in the temple, and an angel appears to him, and the angel says to him, your prayers have been answered. But it doesn't say what prayers have been answered. What are his prayers? Well, as a priest, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He should be praying for things other than for himself, right? So uh, giving him the benefit of the doubt, he's probably praying for his nation. He's probably praying for the deliverance, the salvation of his nation. He's probably also praying, dear God, I would like a son. All right? And the angel appears to him and says, your prayers have been answered. The angel begins to talk with him, and he ends up saying, how can I... I'm old. How can this be? Right? Does that sound familiar maybe to anything we've been looking at? What I want you to do in today's study is look at some of the connections, some of the parallels, some of the similarities that we've already seen in Genesis as it comes out in this story that we're talking about today. And maybe even some connections to some Old Testament passages. All right? So the angel appears to him at verse 13, says, Your prayer is heard, your prayers have been answered. And then the angel ends up indicating 
that he's going to have a baby. So apparently the prayers part did include something about having a baby. Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense for the angel to say, and by the way, you're going to have a son. Because if he wasn't asking for a son, that would have come out of left field, and that would have been like out of the blue. And here the angel says, your prayers have been answered. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. By the way, we're not talking about Jesus. In case you're wondering who we're talking about, this isn't Jesus. Who are we talking about? The guy that's going to end up being John the Baptist, right? Verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. These words that the angel's using, these words, you can almost find these same words and pull them out of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Or Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And the angels using words from those Old Testament passages and saying, these apply to you and your situation with your son. And he's going, wow, this is going to be a big deal. But how am I to know this is going to happen? The angel tells him, and then the angel says, but because you didn't believe, you're going to be mute. You can't speak anymore until the birth of the child. So you got to go nine months without him being able to talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, by the way, the angel identifies himself not at the beginning of the story, but near the end in verse 19. When Zechariah says, how shall I know this in verse 18? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. By the way, you recognize the wording there? It's the same wording that was used to describe Sarah. It's the same wording that was used to describe Abraham of himself. All right. Verse 19. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Do you suppose Zechariah knows his Bible? You would think so, right? He's a priest. He's serving in the temple. This is a big deal. He probably knows his Bible. So when the angel identifies himself as Gabriel, do you suppose if there's any other place in the Bible that the name of Gabriel is mentioned, that he would be familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gabriel shows up in one other book, Daniel. Gabriel shows up in two passages in Daniel. One of the passages that Gabriel shows up in is Daniel chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Listen to the language here. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, who called and said, Gabriel... This is the first time in the Bible that an angel is called by name, by the way. Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, understand, son of man, he's talking to Daniel, understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the end, to the end times, the culmination of all things. So one of the two passages in Daniel is this angel, first time an angel's named, and is given the name Gabriel, and Gabriel goes and tells Daniel, what this vision that you just had concerns the culmination of all things. The other passage that includes Daniel is in the 70 weeks. The 70 weeks prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. And in the 70 week prophecy, Gabriel is explaining to Daniel the meaning of the vision. And in that meaning, he includes to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and talks about the arrival of the Messiah. So when Zechariah says, how will I know this is going to happen? He says, I'm Gabriel. Zacharias, if he knows his Bible, is going to go, the only two places that talks about Gabriel, the only two places have to do with the culmination of all things and talk about the arrival of the Messiah and end for sins and reconciliation for iniquity. (coughs) You think it's probably momentous right now when when that comes to his mind? Now we're in verse 26. All right, skipping forward to Luke chapter 1, verse 26. This might sound familiar. I'm a little more familiar regarding the Christmas story. Now in the sixth month... The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. The same angel. Gabriel's already made one appearance. He's made appearance to Zacharias. Now he's going to make another appearance. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Joseph is of the house of David. All right, that's going to be important as we move forward. By the way, if you want a genealogy of Joseph to find out that he's from the house of David, you could turn to Matthew chapter 1, and it gives the genealogy. 
And it has Joseph in there with David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was, you think? (laughs) Verse 30. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. So one of the things I want to do here (laughs) right now, I should say that we need to include more figures in our nativity set if we're going to have a complete one, right? So some of the other ones we should include would be Zechariah's. We should include John the Baptist, all right, and maybe uh, Elizabeth. And now we've got a name for the angel. It's Gabriel. By the way, the nativity set that I have in my fireplace, it has an angel. It's a woman. (laughs) I don't think that's going to (laughs) work. All right, so anyway, so the angel appears to Mary and ends up saying that you're going to have a son. He's going to be a special son, and and his name is going to be what? Yeshua. Yeshua, or... Jesus. <laughs> All right, you're Jesus. getting it. All right. So his name is Jesus. So good. We can we can check off Jesus. We got Jesus in there. Oh, and now we have the inclusion of Mary, and we had a mention of Joseph. All right. So we've got Jesus, Yeshua, and his name means what? Salvation. Salvation. Who picked the name for Jesus? Did Mom? Did, did Mary pick it? Did Joseph pick the name for Jesus? Who picked the name for Jesus? It's announced by Gabriel, right? But it's probably chosen by God. I don't imagine Gabriel going. By the way, name him Jesus. Let's just you know keep this a secret from the Father and see if it works out. No, I'm sure God the Father said, Gabriel, go down, give Mary this message, and include in the message they're to name the Son Jesus. So they're to name this this Son Salvation or the Lord's Salvation or Salvation is from the Lord. That's what the name means. All right. So you include there. It says there. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This wording, Gabriel is once again drawing from the language of familiar Old Testament passages. In this wording, he's drawing from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. A passage, if you've got Christmas and Bible in your mind at the same time, this is going to be very familiar to you. It says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice, from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Angel Gabriel taking that passage and basically saying to Mary, this is being fulfilled in your son. Whoa, momentous, right? Mm -hmm. You see that there's these significant Old Testament passages, and they're being applied to these characters in this story. This is a big deal. It's also drawing from or borrowing language from God's covenant with David, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 8 through 17. And you look at some of the language there and you realize that Gabriel's immersed in this stuff. He's saturated with this stuff and it's just oozing out in the way that he speaks to Mary as he's <laughs> proclaiming to Mary what's going on. All right? So you're seeing a fulfillment of these passages. You're seeing this promised son coming along and you're seeing the fulfillment of the culmination of all things, You know that sin's going to be taken care of. This is a big time. All right. Luke chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Knowing a man sexually means she hasn't had intercourse yet. She's she's betrothed. She's engaged. She's not married yet. So she's going, this is going to be a problem. How am I going to get prayed? I'm a virgin. 
is basically what she's saying. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, the character we found out just in the, as we started this study, one of the characters that's not in our nativity set. And now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, so now we know Mary and Elizabeth are related. Your, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So Elizabeth, now being called old again, now being described as barren, now has a child, is now, is now pregnant with a child. She's in her sixth month of the pregnancy. And then verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. You recognize the wording of that part? Yeah. For with God, nothing will be impossible. That's the same kind of situation we saw with Sarah. We just saw this in Genesis as we were moving through with Abraham and Sarah. And there was this, this how God, are you, how are you going to do that? And God says, really, how am I going to do that? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember that? Then Mary said, I don't believe it. See that in verse 38? Do you see what it says? Mary said, I don't believe it. No, no she doesn't say that, right? <laughs> what does she say? What does verse 38 say? Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord... Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Moving on to verse 39. So what does Mary do? Does she sit back in an easy chair? Does she go, okay, let me just think about this for a while. No, she, what does she do? She gets out and goes to the hill country to Elizabeth's house. So it says here uh, in verses 39 and following. Now Mary rose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened. Now, picture Mary's, I don't know, riding her Mustang. I'm sorry, probably her camel. <laughs> she gets on her camel and she goes to the door. And as she's approaching, it seems that Elizabeth, before they're even maybe even giving a hug yet, I don't know. But it seems like in that moment, verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. Picture Mary getting out of her Mustang. I mean, getting off her camel and going, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, are you home? At the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in whose womb? In her womb, in Elizabeth's womb. This is John the Baptist now, all right? Leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I, we take for granted, we hear this filled with the Holy Spirit stuff. We take it for granted because Acts chapter 2 makes that available widespread. Prior to Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church, the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, before that episode, the giving of the Holy Spirit was pretty rare. It didn't happen a whole lot. And here she's filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 42, then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women. This is Elizabeth talking to Mary. Elizabeth is pregnant and it's miraculous. Mary knows that. But Mary hasn't said anything about her being pregnant. So Mary's coming up, greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, declares this. Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. A fulfillment of those things told her from the Lord. Do you get the, the idea that there's a promise, that there's the idea of promises? God keeps his promises. Remember that? God keeps his promises. All right. And a fulfillment would be what? The culmination or the, the, the fulfillment of that promise that was given. Here she's bringing up that kind of a language of a promise, all right? And then Mary, what? Mary declares here in verse 46, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has... Re Wait a minute, God my Savior? That's weird language for Mary to be using. How is she already assigning to this baby that this baby's going to be the Savior? Well... Part of it might have to do with the name, right? The name is Jesus, the Lord saves, all right? 
My spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his army, has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent. Do you notice the language? She's declaring this as if it's already past tense. You remember we've talked in our Bible, a lot of times the language that's used can sometimes sound to us like past tense, like we would expect that's already been fulfilled. No, what that's saying, a lot of times when you run into language like this, it means it's so sure to come true that you could speak of it as already having been fulfilled, as already being accomplished. So when they're using language that's in the past tense, Mary is so assured, she's using language, poetic language, basically saying this is so assured, there's no doubt. It's as if it's already come to pass. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers. What does the next line say? Abraham and to his seed forever. To Abraham and his seed forever. Let's see. The idea of Abraham and his seed. Is that familiar to us at all in what we've been studying in Genesis? Absolutely. We've run into it time and again. Abraham and his descendants, Abraham and his Zerah, Abraham and his seed. This is a concept that was introduced to us as early as God's first appearance to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the opening three verses. And you remember how verse 3 ended. The verse 3 ended by saying this, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. In you, in your descendants, in your seed, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Paul takes that same language in Galatians 3.16, and he says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, and then he says, who is Christ? Paul is saying that verse, chapter 12, verse 3, In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And then he mentioned it has to do with Abraham and his seed, that the seed, being singular, it has to do with not just descendants in that local setting, but it has to do with the ultimate fulfillment being Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ being the ultimate fulfillment of that. And here Mary's pregnant with this Jesus. And in her magnification of the Lord, she says in that last line, to Abraham and to his seed, Christ. So basically what we're seeing is the culmination of all things includes this promise that the whole earth will be blessed in this entity, this being that's inside Mary's womb, Jesus Christ. Matthew now. Turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 is another place that you typically will see your children's stories. Uh, right, right about now, you're probably thinking, if this all was put in a children's book, we're not even yet to the birth, and you've already been thinking, it's time for bed for these kids, and I'm on page 43, you know, or whatever the case might be. There's a lot more details than we get from a children's book, would you admit? So here we are, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. We're going to be reading verse 18 through 23. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together... She was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary for your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. We should probably start writing this down. What does Jesus mean again? Salvation. Originally it meant Lord help. It became to be understood as salvation. And then specifically Jehovah is salvation. And when I say Jehovah is salvation, you'll remember that Jehovah is actually made up of the word that has no vowels. By putting vowels into it, 
this is the Hebraic version, this is the Latinized version. You put some vowels into that and you end up getting Jehovah. All right, so you can see the relationship to those words there. All right, so it's Jehovah is salvation, or Yahweh is salvation, okay? Or the Lord is salvation. Uh, by the way, when it says here, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth the son, you shall call his name Jesus. Verse 32 then says, he will be great and will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Here's some of the same language. Matthew's using some of the same language we saw over in Luke. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. Again, that's drawing from the language of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and also from 2 Samuel 7 and 18. Going back to Matthew now, verse 21, And she will bring forth the Son, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, and by the way, the prophet he's about to quote from is Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew's now pulling wording from a different place here. He's pulling wording from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we already have that his name is going to be Jesus, but here we have in this verse, his name is going to be Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Matthew tells us. God with us. So <laughs> how do we reconcile that? Is his name Jesus or is his name Emmanuel? Both. Both. His name is Jesus. What you're going to call him, if you meet him on the street, you're going to call him Jesus. If you Or Yeshua, depending on what language you're using. All right? But if, if you're wanting to know what his role is, it's Emmanuel. It's God with us. It's describing what's going on. This child is God with us. All right? God with us. Luke chapter 2 now. Going back to Luke. Luke chapter 2, we're in verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David. Why did he go to the city of David? To register. To register. Why is he going there, though? Why that city? Because he's a descendant of David. So that's he's required to go there. He didn't just pick that because it sounded like a good vacation spot. He's required to go to there. And by the way, what's another name for the city of David? It tells us in that very same verse. Next Bethlehem. phrase. Bethlehem means house of bread. He went to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because it was the house of and lineage of David to be registered. And he takes Mary. She's pregnant. She's very pregnant, we're going to find out. And probably by the time the command went forth, everybody that's not pregnant probably got on foot and got there ahead of them, right? And Or wherever they're going. And, and by the time they get there, by the time they get to the city... There's no room in the inn, okay? There's no room in the hotel. There's no more camping spots, all right? Everybody that's already not been nine months pregnant or eight and a half months pregnant has made good speed. And they, by the, by the time they get there, there's nothing left. So they pull into town, and it says in verse 6, So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn <laughs> son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. What is a manger? Or water trough for farm animals? Yeah, it's a feeding trough. Why would they pick a manger to lay their baby? This newborn, clean baby, you're going to lay him in a manger? Have you looked at a feeding trough? It's mm -hmm. disgusting. Animals are not clean. They don't clean up after themselves. They don't come through with a little sanitary wipe and put it, you know, put everything back in order. And fly, oh, and the smell. Could you imagine? Why are they laying him in a manger? Because there's no better place. I mean, of the choices they have, they decide that's the best choice. Because on the ground, there's probably some worse stuff that you don't want to lay the baby in. Yeah. <laughs> okay? So they're putting him in a manger, and they're wrapping him up with whatever rags that they have nearby. 
for this next section, verses 8 through 14, I want to invite somebody to come in and actually read this part. All right? So I'll be right back. Let me go outside. Let me actually see if he's ready. <laughs> I, I got to admit, though, that he likes King James Version. So if you, All right, so here we go. A person who needs very little introduction, probably the most famous blanket-carrying speaker you've ever seen, a friend of Charlie Brown, Linus. True, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. All right, give it up for Linus. <laughs> you know what? That's right out of the Bible. You play that nowadays, and it seems like people are like, oh, I'm offended. <laughs> you know? That's right out of the Bible. That's Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14, as we just had Linus quote it for us. The angels appeared to the shepherds out in the field. The shepherds decided, let's go see what this is all about. Verse 15, so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let's now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. So there we have basically the Christmas story. Or as Linus would say to Charlie Brown, that's what Christmas is all about. All right. But what have we got up here? All right. We're assuming there's probably a cow that was in, this, in the area of the stable. Probably. Wait a minute. Camel. Well, well we've got shepherds. Uh, we got the angel. What are we missing? I didn't think we saw a camel, unless the shepherds are riding camels, which I don't think they are. Wise men are riding camels. Oh, we're missing wise men and we're missing camel. Huh, I guess we better keep going. (laughs) So looking now, it says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. We expect that by now. The name given by the angel, that was Gabriel, before he was conceived in the womb. Verse 22, now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem. Wait a minute, where's the wise men? We're getting into this whole other thing, and we're not seeing any wise men. This whole other thing ends up being this episode that takes place. If if you want the complete picture, we're missing this often. They take Jesus, and they go to the temple. Mary has to provide an offering for this new baby, and also an offering because she's been unclean. There's this period of seven days where she's unclean, and then there's another period of a month, or 30 days, for her to finish her, her, her purification time, okay? After the, that week and a month, she's supposed to go and present an offering. And there's different offerings that you can give, but if you're poor, you end up giving a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. They're poor. That's what they give. While they're there at the temple, probably thinking, let's just get in and get out, they're met by two people that they didn't go to meet, 
They're met first by a guy named Simeon. He's an old guy. He's hanging out in the temple. And God has promised to Simeon, you will see him before you die. I'm going to show you my salvation for the country and for all people. And so he's there in the temple waiting for years and years and years for all we know. And here comes baby Jesus, and that's him. And he goes over there, and it says in verse 30, For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. He's pulling in language from Isaiah 49. Simeon, this character they don't even know, walks up to them, and he's declaring to them, this is the salvation that God has brought to all people. And then it ends up saying, and the glory of your people, Israel. That's from Isaiah 49.5, the very verse before. So Isaiah 49.6, Isaiah 49.5, and Mary and Joseph, what does it say in verse 33? They marvel about these things. This is supposed to be in the Christmas story. If we're including the wise men, they're after this. Chronologically, they're after this. All right. But before they can get out of the temple, they're accosted by somebody else. Now it's an old woman. Anna, a prophetess, it says in verse 38, And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So there's two people that end up coming up to them while they're in the temple, probably thinking, we're just going to make, you know, pay our vows and then we're going to leave. And they end up having this huge, you know, momentous meeting there. And then Matthew chapter 2 is where we resume. We're like, oh, how many times are we going to flip back and forth? Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Oh, okay, I'm going to have to paraphrase this, all right, because we're running out of time. This is the wise men. The wise men roll into Jerusalem. They come to the king, King Herod, and they say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Can you see that this might create a problem in the hearer, that being Herod, the king? This is Herod the Great. Herod is half Jewish, half Idumean. He's half Jew, the right race, and half the wrong race, all right? So they're coming to him saying, where's the real king? Is kind of what he would be taking it as. Now, Herod the Great was a ruthless man. He was kind of paranoid. So whenever he had doubts about somebody's um, going to support them, he'd kill them. He killed his favorite wife. He killed his own favorite son. He killed the two sons of his favorite wife. He killed the mother of his favorite wife. In fact, it got to the point where the actual emperor said it would be safer to be one of his pigs than to be one of his sons. All right? So this is the Herod. This is the person that the, the magi, the people coming from the east, are appearing in front of saying, where's the real king? His hold on the kingdom is shaky at best right now. And now he hears this news? So he ends up saying to them, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, what's the story about this king? Why, why are you guys here? How did, how did you find out to come here? They say, well, we saw a star. We saw a star. We decided to you know, pursue or follow the star, and we've come to honor and bless him. How many, king, how many wise men are there? Hundreds. We would say three, and we would say hundreds. Wow, that's a big range right there. <laughs> we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It tells us three gifts. And later on, 700 years later, they're assigned three different names. So a lot of times the wise men, you know, in your nativity set might be three characters, but it could be a lot more than that. There's this entourage probably that came in, and they've just crossed hostile territory. So they've probably crossed hostile territory with protection, and they're from the east. They probably are people of means, all right? So they've come into town, and it's not like the whole town's not going to notice. They do. And the whole town is disturbed when they hear what the message is for the reason that they came. By the way, we don't know the exact year that Jesus was born. Do you know that? If you were to count backwards from today, 2007, 16, 17, and you go backwards, you're not going to be able to get to the year that you could say assuredly that that's when Jesus was born. The dates were devised much later, and it's known that they made a mistake in devising those dates. So most likely Jesus was born sometime between 1 B.C. and maybe 7 B.C. as the outer range. All right, So somewhere in there. During that time frame, there was a conjunction of Jupiter and a conjunction of Venus that perhaps could have been the impetus to start them on their journey. 
And then when they get to Herod, that conjunction is over, and they're in town going, where is he? You know, maybe because the light went out. And then they end up meeting, and he finds out, well, why are you here? Well, we followed his star. And when did the star appear to you? And he does some calculations in his mind. We're not told what the calculations are, but we can read into it later on from another story. Anyway, so he goes to the religious leaders and says, hey, what is your text? What does your Holy Scripture say about some king supposed to be born? Where is he going to be born? They go, oh, it's Bethlehem. And he goes back, and he goes, oh, why don't you check Bethlehem? And I tell you what, when you go over there, you make sure to come back and tell, tell me because I want to go worship him too. You think that's really what he had in mind? No, he doesn't have that in mind. After their meeting of Herod and they're on their way to Bethlehem, it says they rejoice because they see the star again. In the heavens, there was a conjunction at that time of Jupiter, Saturn, and the constellation of the fishes. In the minds of the people from the east, or if you're talking in the area of Babylon, which is likely where they came from. By the way, if they came from Babylon... Why would they be interested in a Jewish king? Daniel. Daniel and the exiles. When Nebuchadnezzar came through and hauled away a bunch of people, he took them to Babylon. And Daniel was like the wise man par excellence in the book of Daniel. He often was the man who had the answer when nobody else did. And Daniel could have started a little group over there where people would get interested in the God of Daniel. And if you're interested in the God of Daniel, you might be interested in knowing who the salvation is going to be or what signs might appear. It seems like there might be a connection there. So anyway, after they meet with Herod, they come back out. They're on their way to Bethlehem. It's only six or seven miles away. The star's there again. They're happy. They're rejoicing. There was a conjunction at that time. It only happens once every 694 years, if I have that right. Let me check that. It's either 794 or 694. Anyway, hundreds and hundreds of years. It's a conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and the constellation of the fishes. Jupiter is the king of the planets. Saturn is the planet of Palestine, or the region of Palestine, and the, uh, the constellation of the fishes has to do with the end times. If you're to read something into that, what could it be? It could be that the king will arise in, in the area of Palestine and bring in a culmination of the age. Ooh, that would be interesting. That might prompt you to go and say, where's the king? <laughs> where's the one born king of the Jews? They end up arriving in town. They give gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they end up, uh, an angel appearing to them in a dream says, don't go back, don't tell them. All right, don't go back and don't tell them. The three gifts, we're going to have to wrap up with this. The three gifts, what were they again? Gold, frankincense, gold, frankincense and myrrh. Gold, the medal of kings. Frankincense mm-hmm. is of the high priests. And myrrh would be an embalming for your death. Mm-hmm. King of kings, the high priest, and his death for our salvation. In Jesus. Hmm. A coincidence. I'm sure it's a coincidence. All right, let's go ahead and pray. <laughs> or maybe it's not, right? <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you that there's so much richness, so much depth, so much that we can never exhaust, Lord, that we can spend time in your word and we'll always find something new, Lord, always find something that you're speaking to us. Your word is living and breathing and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we know that we can open it again and there's going to be a fresh word from you, Lord. There's going to be a fresh message that you would say to us. And you can speak to us as a group and you can speak to us individually as well. It's a marvelous thing, Lord how you've chosen to speak to us. We thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for speaking through your son. And we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather together to find out what you would say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Right, you guys have a Merry Christmas. Sorry that was so fast. Oh, that was crazy. <laughs>